looking to the word of God, let us bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings which you have showered us with this day through thy word, through the hymns that we have sung. And now, Father, we come once more for a blessing this afternoon as we would look to thee, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray and ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Dear ones, for this afternoon's text, I'd like to read from the book of Job, the book of Job, chapter 23. The book of Job, chapter 23. Let's start reading. It's not a long chapter. Let's read the whole chapter. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is in my mind, in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things that are with me, with him. Therefore am I troubled at his presence. When I consider, I am afraid of him, for God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me, because I was not cut off before, before the darkness, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face. This is the 23rd chapter of Job. I had this chapter... Many of you may remember I went to Florida in November, I believe it was, November, the middle of uh, the month. This is the same reading that I had there, the theme of the, um, of the weekend, it was the South Florida Sing or the Florida Sing, was facing the furnace, facing the furnace. So many, many, many thoughts went through my head and, you know, you would think of when you talk about facing the furnace, you think of Daniel or uh, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You think about the, the fiery trials that many of the people of God went through 
listed, enumerated in the book of Hebrews chapter um, 11. And of course, the perhaps most foreign on the forefront of our minds would be the Lord Jesus Christ as we heard this morning of the great trial that he faced in the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweated as it were great drops of blood because of the great inner struggle that he was having that he as God would have to condescend to the lower state of men, sinful men And as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Perhaps many cannot identify, most of us, if not all, cannot identify with the kind of struggle that the Lord Jesus went through. And most of us may not be able to identify with the struggle that Job went through Losing 10 children, losing his stock, his cattle. Uh, His whole world came tumbling down within a few days, a couple of days, and he was left on a a dunghill in sackcloth and ashes, seeking answers. And he certainly didn't get it from his three friends that came to visit him. And we see Job almost in the dead center of the book, of the book of Job, um, crying out what is in his heart, crying out what is in his heart. Job said, even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. Job was in such distress and perplexity that he felt that God was not there. He couldn't find him. He looked everywhere. I just love the description that that is given here that as much as he tried and sought and, and, and looked for God, he just didn't seem to be there at least initially, at least for some period of time. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. He wanted to know what God was telling him. What was he trying to say? That he he didn't quite understand what was going on. He had searched himself... um, you know, we may get into situations in our life when things go bad for us that we, it's easiest for us to say, yeah, I'm to blame, I'm guilty, I'm this, I'm that, and, and we feel that it's a place of security. But even in that, if we're not being honest with ourselves, it could make, bring us even further down. In situations like this, we need to examine ourselves, and Job did that. Job examined himself and he found it hard to believe what these people, accusers, were saying to him to the point where he rebutted them. And where he did go wrong and where he was, um, where he found fault with himself, 
eventually God revealed it to him, and we'll see at the very end of, this, of the book how he thought he had it all together, and in fact that he had lots of room to improve. So we may not be going through the, the great struggles that Job went through, losing ten children. The closest that I have seen of that in recent history was, if some of you remember, Mark Whirlin from Niagara Falls area. Lost seven children, eight children I think, one was in the womb and his wife, in a fire that was started by an electric stove. First cousins to Ruth Cattle in Kitchener. It's the first, perhaps, that I could think of in modern history where he had lost his entire family. And he was in Ottawa building a house, preparing for his children, for his family to move. And when he had heard the news, he he raced back in his uh, car and uh, doing very high speeds, caught by a policeman. And when the policeman found out, when he told him what he was doing, he gave him a, an escort and told the police down the, down the highway to, to let him know that he was coming. And perhaps because Job lived so many years ago, we, we don't know. This book, they, some believe it's the oldest book, one of the oldest books in the Bible. Um, but because it was such a long time ago, it doesn't lose its significance. And we don't necessarily have to go through huge trials like Job did in order to perhaps think that God is not there. Where is he? I look this way, I look that way, I can't find him. He said, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Even though he he couldn't feel his presence at that time. He's, he still trusted him. He asked this rhetorical question. He answered the question. And he says, no, he will put strength in me. And, and we all know the scripture. I think it's in, is it in, in uh, the, the, the 19th chapter or somewhere there where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. uh, Job had experienced enough of God's goodness in the past. He felt enough of God's presence in the past. It was real to him. No one could take it away. And then when uh, it came to the point where he told his friends, if he would even slay me, I would still trust him. Now there are a few people in the Bible that came to to that point. Abraham, when he gave up his son when he was about to put him on the altar of sacrifice. The commentary in the New Testament says, because Abraham knew that even if he would kill him, his own son, that God was able to raise him from the dead. That God has some ultimate purpose, some ultimate goal in the way he moves, the way he thinks, the way he acts. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. He still um, considered him to be his judge, regardless of uh, even the testimony that God had for him, that he was a man that hated evil and that loved righteousness. 
He said, I go forward. He's not there. I go backward. I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, and I cannot see him. Where is God? Where is God when you think you need him the most? Where is God? I'm sure every one of us have gone through a situation where you may have felt God has intentionally left you alone to make you look for him. Or God has maybe left you alone because he's forgotten you. He's forsaken you. There was one that he forsook. We go back to the garden again. He forsook his son. He forsook his son. I think it's Isaiah 14 that says, if I'm not mistaken, that, you know, for a moment I have forsaken you. For a moment. And God, it is believed, it's not explicit how long that was, but in that moment, Christ called out to his father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God forsakes us. God forsakes or turns his back on sin, if I can put it that way. Isaiah 59 says, Is the arm of the Lord shortened that it cannot save? No. He says, But your sins, your trespasses have separated you from your God. The Bible says, and I believe even in Hebrews chapter 12, it says it is written that, you know, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Or was it chapter 13? He will never leave you nor forsake you. So God will never forsake his own. We may feel forsaken, but God will not forsake his own. It is our perception. It says here, and I perceived him not, verse 8 is perhaps not that we blame God that he has forsaken us, but our perception that he's not there. And guess where that lies? That lies in our court, doesn't it? On the left where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right that I cannot see him. But he came to this conclusion. He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So Job knew that he was in some trial. Doesn't know why, how long, but he knew he was in this trial. And he knew that the purpose of this trial was to refine him. So I'd like to share a couple of Stories where this really came through to me, and if, I, if I've if you heard this before, forgive me, but it really drove it home to me the meaning of trials. There was a man that was 27 years in prison. Some of you may know him as Richard Wormbrandt. 
His story still fascinates me because it was in recent history in uh, Russia, Romanian. Uh, he was a, a minister of the gospel. But because he preached the gospel and it was forbidden in that country, um, he was thrust into prison. 27 years of solitary confinement. He didn't see the grass. He didn't see the sun. He didn't smell the fresh air. He didn't see the flowers. He didn't see human beings outside of the prison he was in. 27 years. I think he was interrupted once in the middle and he was, where he was allowed to go out and come back in. I'm not sure. But 27 years because he testified of the truth. And the day he was released, it says that he was released from prison after 27 years. And as he left the prison, he turned his back to the prison gates. He looked up to the sky. And I was expecting him to say, you know, and I shouted, and I was expecting him to say, and I shout, you know, God, thank you for liberating me from this great prison, from this terrible that's not what he said. He said, thank you, God, for being with me while I was in prison. God was with him while he was in prison. To me, that's the key. It's not that one day you're going, to be real, you're going to be free and I'm going to grin and bear it and I'm going to put up with it. It's God was with him. And that brought me back to the fiery furnace. That brought me back to Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego when they were cast into the fiery furnace, when they wouldn't bow down to the statue or to the king at the sounding of the, the, all the musical in, instruments. And they said, now God will save us. And even if he doesn't save us, we will still not bow down to you. And they looked into the fire as they had pushed them in and said, did we not cast in three? Who's that fourth man? One like unto the Son of God. To me, that's the key for enduring hardship. Though you cannot see God, though you do not feel him or sense him perhaps at times because you feel so alone as Elijah did at one stage. Everything's forsaken me. Lo, I'm the only one left. And God says, Elijah, I've reserved 7,000 that have not yet bowed their knee to bow. Beloved, if we do not feel the presence of God in our lives now, today, perhaps God will send you hardship to make his presence known. And perhaps God allows this hardship and 
difficulty to bring us closer to him so we can feel his presence. I'm going to finish up on this, this account. The other story that I wanted to tell you was, was something I didn't realize after reading the papers, but I found out afterwards about that the Korean missionaries that were in Afghanistan. Do you remember them? About 13 of them. And the Taliban had taken them captive. And they demanded the release of their prisoners or else they're going to execute them one by one. It was on national news. I remember that. And so these prisoners were Korean Christians. They were in together and they, when they heard this, they got together and they began to speak amongst themselves. And one said, you know what? If they ask for one of us to be executed, I will be the first one. I want to be the first one. And the second one said, no. Let me be the first one because I'm more older than you. I'm older than you. I'm more senior to you. I will be the first one. And the third one said, I am an ordained minister. You are not ordained. I will be the first one. And so it was that the first one was the ordained minister. They had him publicly executed. It was on Al Jazeera news. And two or three were killed before they negotiated a release or let them go. And there was one minister from, the North, from North America, a pastor, went down there and he wanted to interview these people. He wanted to interview the, the hostages that were set free. And they told him the story, what I just told you. But one thing that they told him that I haven't said yet, when they went back to Korea, South Korea, and they had their freedom, they were back in civilization. They had free worship, free churches, they had their comforts of home. They told him, you know, now that we're free, we don't feel close to God as much as we did when we were there. We sensed when we were in that predicament that God was so close to us, that God was there, present. There was no distractions. They were in captivity, yet they were free. They were in, under the threat of death, yet they felt so blessed. And they said they had a longing to go back. And that leads me to the closing verse, which is one of my favorites of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll read it in context with others. 
Beloved, verse 12, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory resteth upon you. Have you ever felt the spirit of glory resting upon you? Have you? I wish I could in a greater measure. I believe that that's what they experienced, the spirit of glory resting upon them. And we seem to want to run from our troubles. But Job says to God that he troubles him. And he knows that when he is tried, he'll end up as gold purified through the fire. In counseling with many, it seems to me that when we do go through trouble, when we do go through pain and suffering, we need to go to God first. I know when trouble befalls me, when it has befallen my family in the past, I have nowhere else to go really but to God. I can go to my friends. I can go and I've done that before, but it's not until I go to God directly to God because I know my friends are fallible but I know God is infallible and when we humble ourselves and when we place ourselves at the feet of Christ and let his spirit of glory rest upon us we're in a good place to him be glory evermore I think all of us like to end on a on a happy note every story tragedy likes to have a happy ending and Job certainly had one I'd just like to read a few verses of that mind you the life was temporary it's temporal but at least for the remaining of his days um God gave him and blessed him more abundantly than before. The last chapter of Job, chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I, ut- I have uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. 
I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye has seen thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses, double what he had from the beginning. God restored to him seven sons and three daughters, and in all of the land there were no women fairer than the fairest daughter of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. That's the happy ending for Job, but it continues in heaven. And God has promised a crown of glory to all that overcome in the book of Revelation. My prayer and wish is for everyone that we... Be faithful and true in good times and bad and give God the glory in both. To him be glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.